and welcome to Creativity Conversations. This is episode 25, and I'm with the beautiful and talented Fiona Jacob. Fiona, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Lovely to have you here. What we do in these Creativity Conversations is really just deconstruct the idea of creativity and take it out of the context of being an artist, or only artists are creative. So Fiona has an amazing background, although she'll probably be modest about it. But we're going to start by reading her bio and then see what happens after that. Fiona Jacob is a certified master transformative coach, coaching supervisor, and CEO. Her greatest passion is to take an uncompromising stand for people's greatness, waking people up to who they really are, no matter what they're up against in life or what has happened to them in the past. Fiona believes everyone has a natural well-being that allows us to access and experience peace of mind, creativity, and freedom, a boundless, joy-filled life with experiences of aliveness, clarity, and wisdom. Fiona facilitates explorations with leaders, coaches, and healthcare professionals to create insight and transformation, unlock their greatness, access their innate limitless potential, and help them show up fully to the world as their truest self in every moment. Fiona's educational background includes an MBA, a master's in coaching and behavioral change, certified master transformative coach, and a certificate in professional supervision. Fiona is also an RGN with 20 years experience as a nurse director in hospitals internationally, leading major transformational programs. Well, (laughs) (laughs) that me, oops. (laughs) Somewhere it is. Yeah, I just, I just kind of like to be known as Fiona. That sounds all a little bit too much. Can we, can we just put that over to the side? We can, although it, sometimes it helps to have a little bit of context in here. Sure, I can. So you used some pretty intense, delightful words in this mm. bio, greatness, freedom, living life fully and with aliveness. How do you connect that with creativity? Or maybe you don't, but... Well, I didn't until you asked the question. (laughs) So I think that's brilliant. Something came to me this morning just when I was mulling this conversation over and I thought to myself, huh, what do I really see creativity as? I mean, what is that essence for me? What is that? And it came to me that very simply, there is an impersonal energy and aliveness that comes to me and through me. And I get to create an amazing life. I get to create amazing conversations. I get to create, you could say clients. I get to create change programs. I get to create love. So every moment, this unfolding of us in every moment is our present moment creation, right? And we can do that any way we want because that energy is flowing through us all the time and if we kind of look like the one that we're in right now that's okay too because we can recreate that in the next so it's I just find this and I use Mavis Karn is somebody that I really love and adore and she has this beautiful saying it's like a golden cord so to me creativity is a golden cord to the formless energy that shows up in us that has us be in the world as we are I love the possibility of of that. And I love the infinite potential of that for it to be new and fresh and present and filled with aliveness and sometimes sadness and sometimes joy. So it's not that it's all gloriously delicious and we're happy in every single moment, but it's just the possibility it can be anything in any moment. And it can come through in any moment. It can come through in a conversation between you and I. It can come in through with a conversation with somebody who is suicidal. It can come in conversation with a a corporate client. It can come through in a beautiful conversation between myself and my husband. It's, It's all for the taking. It's always there. It's always present. It's always flowing. And I love that. So it seems like creativity isn't just one thing. You know, is it a capacity? Is it a force? Is it a golden cord? Is it 
part of our nature? Is it like gravity that even if we don't believe in gravity, we'll still, if we jump off a building, end up on the ground? So is creativity something similar in that it's always present? We may not be fully aware of it, but it still operates. I absolutely think so. And I was looking back throughout my life, Nina, and a couple of things came to me. I would say that if, and I was this kind of person that we thought of when I was young, that you stood in line and God handed out the special gifts. So the special gifts might've been beauty or a talent in music or writing or whatever, or artistry in some sort of way. And I would say, you know, I wasn't definitely the top of the line and it probably wasn't in the middle of the line I would have probably been at the you know the dog end end of the line you know over there and at the same time I could sing and I could dance and I could play the guitar and I could play the piano but there was nothing in my words special about it and I remember one time being very naughty I was about 14 years of age at school Loretto high school uh, convent nuns so you can think of all the implications of that. So naughty in that context. And I was sent to the principal's office and I was actually asked to write a specific essay. And it was around, of course, it was around God, right? And I hated that chore. But I went home and my brother had just entered the seminary in that time. So he's going to become a priest. And he had a couple of books lying around and I started to, and I got really excited about the task. And suddenly for the first time ever in my life, something wrote me. I showed up to the page, there was a page, it was an A4, I probably pencil or pen, I can't even remember. But I remember writing probably five or six pages as if somebody was moving my hand. Now, is that a force? Did I believe that I had creativity? No, I believed I had, you know, minuscule amount of talent in some areas, but not creativity, not in that sense. And I remember handing it in and getting a call about a week later from the uh, principal's office. And she, she said, you didn't write that. And I went, you're right, I didn't write that. And she went, no, you didn't write that. And I went, well, I did write that, but I didn't write that. And I remember getting kicked out of the office again because she just, she just thought I was just really there just to upset her and, and, and throwing something in her face. And I thought to myself, huh, maybe creativity isn't, maybe that flow isn't accepted. Maybe that, because what she was saying was literally, this is too good to be written by a 14 year old. That, that's what she was actually saying in essence. And I knew it was too good to be written by a 14 year old too, because I hadn't written it in the sense apart from it flowing through me. But I, I, what I learned from that moment was there was flow and then there was other people's acceptance of what that looked like or how that showed up into the world or that's not possible. So, so that was also interesting to me. So yeah, probably this dichotomy going on. Well, so interesting that you bring up the reaction of judgment from other people because who hasn't had that experience of doing something, making something, expressing something, and it gets criticized or rejected by people around you for whatever reason. You're not capable, this isn't yours. You're not capable of this. I don't like it. And that's, I'm just wondering as you're saying that, isn't that one of the things that keeps us from actually tapping into it, letting it come through us, let it flow through us. I love that. And I'll give a, a different example of that, which I think probably also highlights this. And you and I talked about this, Nina, before. Back in the old days, when I was 25 years of age, I was held hostage by, I was actually in a large group of hostages at a point in time, but ended up with about 150 of us in the lead up to the first Gulf War in Iraq. I remember about halfway through that, time so about into month two having experienced all of the horrors and terrors of we're going to war we're going to die I'm not going to escape this we were right in the center of Baghdad so we knew we were going to be targeted by you know the American troops and the English troops that were coming in the direction and I got this experience of one night just finding myself swimming in a swimming pool 
with my hand almost reaching up to the sky to, to pull down the stars as if it was mine. It was, it was just as if this star was there for me. And getting this whole sense of peace come through my body, this creative energy of it's okay. You're going to be okay. It's all okay. And I remember telling people about that, about that experience. And two things happened. One is people had no sense of what that was. So they were going, you're mad. Of course you're not okay. You're lost. You're nothing had changed on the outside. So it was, you're just making stuff up. You're going, you know, you got a bit loopy. And I think the other part was I started to doubt myself that I had this possibility, this potential to be okay, that this was what I knew, what I heard, what I knew to be true about myself in life. And so it's almost like there was a suppression of, of that. It felt like I was wrong to even talk about it. It felt like, let's not talk about it because we're still hostages and the, you know, the war is still coming. And we're, you know, as one of my uh, colleagues kept saying all the time, we're all going to die here. And it, that, that was the flavor and that's how it had to be. And it's almost like you nearly had to pretend that that's how it was going to be. But there was something in me that felt the truth of, but was held as, no, we don't want that. We don't, we don't actually want that to be the truth for you or for anybody else. So it closed down doors. It closed down possibilities. It closed down. I mean, one of the things that Kathy Casey used to say, uh, you know, a colleague of ours was more people are living in the prison of their minds than there are living in prison. I had somehow found the locking mechanism for that prison and so felt absolutely free in my head, no matter what was going to happen. But people felt, I don't know, safer, more comfortable. I don't know the word in this moment, but it's almost like they wanted to stay there in the prison of their mind. So closing out possibility and creativity and new experience and what was available. Yeah. I don't know if that makes, if that makes sense around that. Well, it's an extraordinary experience. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's true. your colleagues didn't have it and yet you had it. And this praise of being hostage to our own minds and what's possible is really an intriguing thought. I think most of us don't think, how am I in my own way or what else is possible? So that, that's an interesting concept. And I think that this is my conjecture at the moment. Anytime we're telling ourselves we can't, it's a form of being hostage held hostage by our own negative beliefs. Right. I mean, we've got such a beautiful divine engineering, I think, which is we have the possibility to experience anything mm. anyway. So before I had the experience, I was experiencing the hostage situation pretty much like everybody else was, you could say in general, like, oh, it's terrible, oh, we're going to die. You know, we, all of that, that every night we found it hard to go to sleep. There was anti-aircraft guns going off every night. It had all of the physical and tangible senses that we were in danger. So yes, of course, everybody had that sense, we're in trouble, we're in danger. But there was a knowing deeper than that. There was, um, this is the beautiful divine engineering. There is something when we just listen when we get still, when we are quiet, when we are with ourselves, where we know the truth of it, it is, it's as clear as a bird song. It is clear as a piccolo. It's as clear as a violin, you know, first violin in an orchestra. It is so true. It has a resonance of truth that it's undeniable. It's absolutely undeniable. And one is noise. And one is resonance. And it's how do we start to distinguish, you could say, between what is noise and what is resonance? Because the resonance creates such an impact and we just can follow that as it unfolds. It's like a, an unfolding path in front of us. I think of it like if you were getting married and somebody was just unfolding the red carpet in front of you as you're walking down, it, it continues to unfold for us if we follow that resonance. Well, that's another really intriguing point. When you think about resonance and noise, resonance has an opportunity to become entrained 
but noise is just dissonance and it's chaotic. So there's nothing to connect with. There's nothing to be a, a part of a larger something or other because there's no way to connect with it. And yet we do. <laughs> Yeah, we, we something do. happens. Yeah, it's 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 like the it feels sometimes like the noisy has got the truth in it, and this little beautiful resonant but soft gentle nudge is just it's got something. But this one takes our attention. It's like our attention goes to this, um, and it's just really interesting when you start to go. Hmm, not sure the noise is actually telling me the truth of who I am or what can be created here or what the possibility is. And it's lovely to wake up to that. And I think that is part of being alive, the aliveness we have and the creating every moment that's possible too. Would you say that creativity is a form of grace? Oh, I love that. Hmm. I think creativity holds it all. I think creativity is love. I think it is grace. I think it is joyous. I think it is aliveness. I think it is excitement. I, I just, I have it all. I mean, I, if you were to give me a creativity bowl, I would have all of that in there. But most of all, I think it's just this gorgeous, this gorgeous, rather infinite potential for anything to be anything, for anything to transform anything, for anything to be birthed. I sometimes it feels like, you know, we're, we're midwives, we are birthing something that's formless into form. And that's got the whole gamut. It's back to I can create a life from this space, I can create a moment of life from this space, I can create a relationship from this space. I can create a Facebook ad from this space, <laughs> I can create a song or a poem or a dissertation or a, it doesn't matter it's just it's the fuel of all of it now with your coaching and supervision experience is that what you're bringing out in people is that what you're pointing towards that force that fuel that the whole magilla <laughs> magilla sounds irish doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> yes and i and i would have said to a certain point so my, my coaching, and this is the beautiful part of it, because of course, if we're in a creative conversation, it means it's never the same. And I would have said that my coaching came of a, from a space rather originally around, you know, resilience and it's, you are okay, no matter what you've experienced in life. And I worked with an awful lot of people who've experienced trauma, who wanted to commit suicide, who had PTSD, maybe even rape and you know some of the things uh, sexual uh, uh, upset in their childhood all of that going on and, and I love those conversations about being able to wake people up to the resilience they are so the possibility of being completely untouched by something that's happened to them in that life that space which is uncontaminated by what's happened to them and I guess I could speak to that quite well because of my own experiences over the course of my my life and I love that people could relax into and know that they were okay. But what I noticed in the conversation was is when they kind of sat back into the relaxing space of, okay, I'm no longer suicidal or anxious or have PTSD or I'm so concerned about that event that happened in my childhood. There seemed to be a, a vacuum, like a wider world of, well, what's next or now and what? And for me, the bigger story of the conversation of, of coaching and supervision is about waking people up to their greatness. So what now? Given that that's no longer or was never who you are, but you've woken up to the possibility now of that being part of you that's, that's there, but is not in the forefront anymore. So what now? And in that, I invite people to be in their greatness and see what shows up for them from that space. And it's not an ego greatness. It's not like, oh, I'm great. It's like, if we know that we're both this human, messy person with all of our foibles and all of our insecurities, and we get to live in this world of form, and we are this, this other impersonal energy of life flowing through our veins in every moment, getting to create in every present moment, 
something we hadn't even considered, something we hadn't even conceived of as possible. And we show up in the world both and this form and formless energy in life. We get to be the intersection of that in the world. And it, it allows the God energy of that, the nature energy, whatever word you want to put on it, nature's energy to flow and leave our fingertips and enter into our relationships and our conversations and our creations and our who we want to be in the world, how we want to show up, who is our truest self and just dance in that possibility. You know, just play with it, have fun, experiment. And I remember working with a, a beautiful client who I love dearly. We did an intensive together for two days and she wrote 12 poems in the space of that 12 days. And it's like, she had never written poems before. She had no idea of even writing a poem. It was just what showed up for her in the moment was just the burst of energy into life showed up for her in a poem on paper. For some, it might be to create a baby. For some, it might be to create an amazing relationship or a household or a business or a team or to lead an amazing change or transformation in an organization. It's not going to show up the same in every person, but it shows up when we let it, when we trust that it's there and we experiment and have fun. The, the last bit I'll say, Nina, is it's when we engage, that's when momentum shows up, when we are in it, when we're on the tennis court, the momentum moves to us the creativity moves to us when we're thinking about it which I have done for many many years the kind of I call it on the stands of the tennis court it there is no momentum in that it's just looking at the game being played and not being there and so the mm. not saying the creation never comes but it just doesn't move through us in, in in the way that it does when we're here when we're playing when we're engaged when we're in the moment Something struck me in what you were just sharing, which is a, an apparent paradox about greatness. And I think if you were to say to someone at the checkout counter at the grocery store, you know, you have greatness in you, they would think you were crazy. And I wonder if one of the things that people mistake is that greatness is personal. Oh, I, I'm, I'm not that. I'm not great. I'm not even interesting. You know, people have such a way of denigrating themselves based on mostly habit and conditioning. And yet, what would happen if people actually could believe that there is such a thing as greatness that is available to us? Because most of us have been talked out of it since we were wee babes. I love that. And I love it for a couple of reasons. I think one is, I think we have an idea of what greatness is. Mm. And so we think it has to be the, the fancy invention or somebody who's in a space capsule heading off to the moon or Elon Musk or whatever. You know, we have our judgments of what greatness is. And I think that really holds us back. And I, look, me too, me too. I've had so many people in my life who I would love to have been more like. Anything from Mother Teresa to Bill Clinton, not for those elements of Bill Clinton, mind you, but, but you know what I mean? Just the, some of the capacities that people have that I thought, wow, I'd love that. I'd love to be able to speak to people like that or love to be able to care and have kindness like that or, or whatever, right? Yet, when I am in conversation with a human being who... I've had conversations on planes. I've had conversations in train stations. I've had conversations at the checkout counter, even at the car hire. <laughs> and when I was doing traveling, there were the days, Nina, when I did traveling, right? People, when you hold, I don't know what this is. So this, play with me for a second on this. When you hold people as great, and again, that egoless, egoless greatness, the potential for greatness that they are, they, in conversation, show up differently. It is like saying to somebody who is unwell, you know, who might have some kind of anxiety or worry or concern or, or whatever, and, and, and they would say, or depression maybe, I know that you are, you have whole, perfect, complete well-being. It's the same if you, I hold you as having the potential for greatness. 
in conversation, there's an impact, there's a truth, there's that resonance that we talked about a little bit earlier. People feel it. People, you may not even use those words, but people know the truth of it and they resonate with the truth of it. And they wake up to the truth of it, even if they're asleep. And, and it's back to what people hold as great because there are beautiful stories and I can't remember one that comes to my head where you, know, you have a woman who has fostered 50 children over her lifetime, maybe. And she doesn't see herself as great, not in the world stage, great politician, great royal family, great whatever, uh, Kim Kardashian, great. But my God, is she great? You know, or you've seen a story of maybe a husband who has been by his wife's side through her chemo. That, you know, there's greatness in, again, available in every moment if we wake up and we help people wake themselves up to those moments too. Because people are great in so many ways and we have, well, this is great and this is, you're a nice person. <laughs> And I think there's such greatness in those moments, in those families, in those entrepreneurs starting businesses, in whether it's Black Lives Matters movements or what, there's greatness in all of that. It starts again with a creative idea and the greatness is in the follow through or in the commitment or in the being with something even when it's difficult there is greatness in all of that there is greatness in sport and endurance there's beyond the nfl you know what i mean top players there's just greatness everywhere it's like we need to peel the veils off our eyes and start to recognize real greatness and not just what what looks like media greatness or as a distinction so i may not have answered your question about the supermarket girl or guy but I just know that it is possible for people to feel that from us and for them to get a welcome to it. Well, I love the way you've expressed that. And so here's a, here's a test case. Mm. Let's say, <laughs> oh, a test case. Uh -huh. Let's say we, you are talking to someone who is single at home now, interminably, has few people to connect to, lives a life of relative predictability. How do you tell them, him or her, that they have greatness in them when their lives are pretty much prescribed by, the, at least the way they see it, by external circumstances? They're not somebody who has had accomplished great things or um, maybe even has a pretty bad family dynamic, you know? How do you say to them when they feel trapped, maybe they have a few too many martinis at the end of the day, they don't have a social structure that they can connect with, they're not someone who has many interests or hobbies or ways of expressing themselves, what would you say to that person to help them wake up to who they are? So I think it's a, I love the test question, and I think it's a really... I'll step into it, of course, but I think the most important thing to understand is when we're in a conversation with a human being is really we're in the listening to who they are fully, deeply and inclusively. So we would know, I would know in the conversation, what is in that brings them alive, you know? So there's, there's some things missing in the, if you know what I mean, in the description in that sense, because to me, it's like, who are they? What brings them alive? What do they see as possible? What do they not see as possible? Where do they feel joy or flow or love? You know, and, and start to explore, expand, release themselves into those spaces because we could all, I'm living here with my, you know, we, we all have those kind of boundaries you could say like I'm getting paid this month I've got this many friends I you know then if that is the boundary of our life in a way and that's all we see is the boundary of our life we will play very small we will 
stay within what we think is possible and probably even less. <laughs> a lot of it even withdraw into a smaller, you could say fragment of seeing what's possible for ourselves. In, in a way, my job is to pull back the curtains on waking up to how we create our life, which is thought created, even though that's an impersonal energy coming to us and how we can recreate our life in every single moment. As I, I pointed to a little earlier, we can have any experience of any situation from this is horrible, I hate my life, to being in exactly the same situation and going, huh, okay, so this is my life now, what's next? What can I do? You know, there's, there's always a possibility to create or recreate our experience. And when we see what's possible with this creative energy, it could be something as simple as, hey, maybe just setting up a call with a friend every evening at five o'clock with my martini would be something I'd love to do right now just to connect with another human being. Now, is that greatness in its totality? Probably not, but you could say stepping into who I am and what I love and what would bring more joy and gorgeousness and fun into my life. So there's a new invitation. And then that invitation can become something else and something else and something else. It's starting to, again, we will all have the noise in our head and the boundaries of our life that we think it's how it has to be. It's looking not just alone in that space, but the intersection of that formless part of us that says, hey, and what's next? What can we create next? What we can bring to life next? What, we, what can we midwife next? into this space, which may be small, but Nina, you and I know when there's a shard of light into the blackness of the cave, it's enough to illuminate. And then we start to see where we're walking and then we walk a little bit more and there's more light. We, we start to see the expanse of where we've been and where we can go to. And that start, it, it's sort of the potential is, yeah, it may be baby steps, but in the breakthrough of that light into our lives, walls dissolve, caves dissolve, darkness dissolves, and the energy of life flows. And we get bowled over by that onto our next step, whatever that looks like. Oh, I love I'm that. not sure that even answered your question, darling. <laughs> it did to my satisfaction. Oh, well, thank God for that. <laughs> right <laughs> so tell me what you think the difference is between what you're describing and positive psychology because i hear a very important distinction but what you're describing is another kettle of fish as they say so i'd love you to talk about that yeah i i go back to the time when i thought positive psychology was good Ooh. i did quite a lot of study in around positive psychology and Martin Seligman and, and all of that, Ooh, maybe 12, 13 years ago. Mm -hmm. I guess what I see is, is, is different is noise is noise. <laughs> so whether it's positive noise or negative noise, it doesn't make a difference. It's just noise. It's like we're trying to create something, put energy into being better, being different, adding, adding on something to what's actually natural. So what is natural, who we are, is grace, flow, is contentment, joy, love, abundance. I mean, that's who we are by our birthright. We don't need to do anything to make that flow. We don't, we don't need to squeeze it. We don't need to think about it. We, we just need to be with it and know it's true. And there's just a quiet stillness that allows that to to flow and when we're in the other noise of I must be happy I need to I should be and we're creating we're creating more dust more noise more dissonance more energy being spent in that part when in the quiet stillness that flow that creation that peace of mind that gorgeous ease and love is just just because of our birthright, because of our divine engineering again, is who we are, how we are made, what can show up in 
in life, into everything in life, into every relationship in life, into every job we do. That's the possibility of it, the possibility to be carried by life as opposed to making it happen, working on it. And I get exhausted even talking about it because it just feels like, you know, we're working hard to make life and ourselves happy. And it's like, no, it's a birthright. We don't need to make that. It's a mining operation, as a good colleague of ours said, not a manufacturing one. That is such a huge distinction. How many people grow up thinking that they're not broken? They need to be fixed. I mean, most of the conditioning that I see and, and I certainly grew up with was something wrong with me. Look at all these people doing these amazing things and I'm just watering the garden or feeding the cat. Or, so yes. there's something about brokenness that much of the Western culture, I think, has grown up with and has, has internalized in such a way that such a common response is, oh, I could never do that. I could never be blank. Why? How do you know you can't do something or you aren't something unless you begin to explore it? It's an interesting dilemma that, isn't it? Yeah. And, and growing up good Catholic Irish meant that you were already by default a sinner. So, you know, you were already broken. So you're already on your way to hell unless you redeemed yourself, right? So yeah, it, it's, it's, I wonder what would happen. Honestly, Nina, I wonder what would happen if people woke up to the fact that nobody is broken. And yes, there is a part of us that is always, you could say, creating or being in the world at the level of consciousness, you could say. So, or what we, what we see is true about ourselves or we believe is true about ourselves. But there's a truth deeper than that, which is none of us are broken. And I, I go back to no matter what has happened to us, even if we've been physically, broken or attacked, even if we have been diagnosed with psychological or emotional or mental health illnesses, we are still not broken. There is a part of us that is perfect, whole, complete, and has total well-being, that is untouched by any of the physical, any of the emotional, any of the psychological, whether diagnoses or diagnoses or labels, or yes, whatever, whatever somebody with a script puts at the end and says, you got this. Because when you look into the eyes of a baby, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, with the aliveness that they are, there's no brokenness there. We just get talked out of perfection. We just get talked out of the joy of being alive and the aliveness of, I remember being a three and four year old dancing as if I was a ballerina and singing as if I was, I don't know, Cher. Um, and being, you know, you get talked out of it because you're judged or we judge ourselves or whatever. And then we make ourselves really small. It's so interesting how we talk ourselves out of things, right? And I don't know where this came from, but there's a, a joke that is told in a voiceover by Woody Allen in the movie Annie Hall at the end of the movie. And he's telling this story about a man who goes to a shrink and says, Doc, you got to help me. My cousin thinks he's a chicken. And the shrink says, well, why don't you tell him he's not? And he says, I can't. I need the eggs. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Do you think that maybe society likes us to feel like we're broken? Is that how you're holding it? It certainly is an interesting possibility. You know, there are, there are, just as there are larger forces for good and for creativity and for possibility and for growth, and there's also the possibility of someone intentionally trying to manipulate that and prevent that. Because what, it, what would it be like if people did realize their greatness and their potential and their possibility for creativity and living a life that brings them joy and happiness. So much of the media, the play on fear and anger, it wouldn't have an audience. Right. There's something very survival lack uh, uh, as a foundation for that. You know, let's play on this. Let's play on 
the fact that there are this is falling apart and that's falling apart and we need to worry and we need to it's not an invitation to step up it's more of an invitation to stand back hmm. there are a couple of things that come to mind that the first one that comes to mind is in this creativity that we are and in this infinite potential that we are there is such a huge freedom or maybe it is just total freedom in that sense because we're no you know, we're no longer caught up in the thought created experience of who we are in that moment, but we are this expansive aliveness and energy just creating life and in, in, in the moment. And so there's that, there is that huge freedom there. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. And I'm curious because a guy called Osho once said that democracies don't want us to be free. Because if we are, we would just kind of do our own thing. And who knows, right? I mean, that's, he made that up and I'm making up that he made that up, but you know, that we would all go our own way and, you know, societies would not be as they are. And exactly as you were saying that let's in a way, keep, keep us smaller and less free so that we can show up as good model citizens in the world or whatever. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm just we're, we're speculating rather than having any truth around this, right? But something also, the second bit that came to mind, Nina, is I remember working with Kathy Casey in, in the prisons once in San Jose, and we were in the gang member unit where we were doing the, the, the Tuesday afternoon couple of hours, which she would normally do. And what was fascinating to me, and these were guys in for murder, or gang rape or you know at the level of gang violence and, and what would happen between gangs and and within the gang and with the experience of what we're talking about here what they saw was true for them is that they were okay they like me when I was held hostage interestingly even though some of these guys were never going to get out and they bemoaned you could say the moments when they found out that they were okay that they had made these judgments, taken actions from this thought-created experience, you could say, a level of consciousness, you could also say, that this was all they saw in the moment. And they were now awake to that. And even if they never got out there, they felt more free than they ever had in their lives. And I think that that was and is extraordinary that they don't class themselves, some of these people don't class themselves as broken. They don't class themselves as failures. They've actually woken up to something that other people in the world haven't woken up to yet. And they want, and they felt sorry for, believe it or not, some of the prison wardens because they felt that they had a greater understanding of how life really worked now than some of the people who were you know, keeping them um, safe or at least stewarding them uh, within the jails. Um, and the other thing which was really fascinating was one of the guys I remember, Kathy, I, I, I saw him in the jail, but I, I didn't see him um, for this particular piece. He didn't speak about it in our group, but he said that he was, he was actually let out. So this was actually somebody who was let out, who had had this experience of this conversation. And it was on his mind to kill somebody who had raped his girlfriend. That was... That was what was on his mind as he left jail. And he couldn't sleep the night before. He was, he was thinking to myself, I, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, this horrible person. And when it came to the crunch, he could not. And what he woke up to was that, of course I could do the act, but that is not who I am anymore. And he had enough wisdom and creativity in that moment enough aliveness in the moment, enough common sense in that moment to recreate that moment. So he did not. And I just thought it's the most beautiful conversation that we're in, which is once we wake up to the truth of it, that we are not broken, we no longer need to do things from a place of brokenness. We're now doing things from a place of whether it's ease or grace or creativity or love we are the truest self we are our greatest self and that can show up in any way in any place 
in our lives. And that's the invitation, I guess. That actually answers a question that I was thinking about earlier in our conversation about why is it important to know who we really are? Hmm. I, I come to this pretty much every day, I think, you know, which is there have been so, I, I've had a fabulous life with extraordinary and ordinary events like most people. But until about 10, 15 years ago, I lived a sliver of my potential in the sense of it was just, it's like I was a horse with blinders on going around, <laughs> going around the field in a circle. It's, we haven't woken up to the fullest potential of our beingness and the truth of who we are. And that is both ordinary and extraordinary. And again, from that egoless place, it's just, we have access to things we can't even dream about. My little brain can't even conceive of, but things come to me bigger than me that create an impact bigger than I could create just from Fiona's brain and mouth and ear, you know, it's the allowance of this to flow through us in every moment. It widens the capacity for all of us to be fully alive and fully in creation and fully in love. And I don't know, touching God, touching nature, being at home. In the deepest sense of the word. Yeah. And making it a better world, honestly. Even if it's this big or this big, like, that doesn't matter either. It's not the size of it. It's the possibility. Hmm. Very interesting. <clears throat> and I think that who wouldn't, as you're describing it with such, such depth and clarity, who wouldn't want to feel more alive? And who wouldn't want to be able to weather everything, the ups and the downs, the sideways, the backwards, with a sense of equanimity and not indifference, but knowing that it will pass and that there'll be other opportunities, that that's, it's someone who has to have convinced themselves very deeply that they're broken or they don't deserve it, that wouldn't want that. And I would also say, Nina, we don't know it's on offer either. Good point. I didn't know this was an offer. Yeah. Nobody, you know, met me at the, I don't know, what I was four or seven or 12 and said, hey, do you know that this is on offer? It just, that didn't seem possible for me. Mm. The invitation to dance beyond my dance or live a life beyond my life didn't seem possible to me. And I got so many beautiful gifts from life and invitations from the universe to I was going to say cross to the other side. That sounds a bit weird. No, I didn't. Guys, <laughs> but but to as long as you're here now, that counts. I did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but 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 in a way that I would have to say the universe didn't let go of me until I got this message because I was pretty stubborn. <laughs> I pretty much denied it on three major occasions. Like, hello, there's more to life than this. There is more freedom and there's more creation on this other side. And I was going, oh no. No, 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 I won't have that. Persistent, I would say persistent, we got there. But who, how could we, I suppose the question is, how can we awake people up to what is possible beyond what they think is possible for them and show them the gifts that this formless part of who we are, this aliveness, this energy, this potential, this possibility, this consciousness, mind, whatever word you want to put around this, this love that life has for us can break us open and we can bathe deeply in it and create from that space back into the world. It's, it's, it's glorious and frightening and <laughs> in many ways and joyful and the invitation is just there to be part of it, to kind of let go I think too to just let go trust lean in experiment you know is there something that you would say has been the most challenging in pointing people to this understanding in terms of receptivity not not your receptivity but to people that you've spoken to so I probably have to answer that two ways Nina I think 
I made a public statement a little while ago about my own listening. So I'm going to speak to that, I think. I always thought I, I, I listened at a, a seven. And quite interestingly, when I really got into a conversation and looked at my listening, I gave myself a five. Then I got into another conversation about listening and I gave myself a three. But kind of an awakened three in the sense of, oh, shoot. I am more interested in the voice in my head or was, as I was, or maybe judging or maybe waiting to jump back in and, you know, say my spiel or whatever than I am in listening to the person. So to answer your question, think if we are really with another human being, if we're really deeply listening to that human being, be in the words, beyond the words, and beyond my crazy thinking in my head at that moment. And if I'm coming from love, the deepest love that I can come from, there is very little, I don't know if you want to call it defense or barrier or, it's almost like we fall down into a space together of unconditional love and connection where anything can be said. When I'm not listening, when I'm caught up in my, then of course the receptivity is, is not there. I mean, it can be there sometimes, but it's not there 100% of the time. Of course not, because I'm not with them. So I would put that on me, not the other person in a way. Because when I'm in that space of, oh, that gorgeous connection, people join you there. It's like you give an invitation and they go, I don't know, the fastest lift down possible. And they go, wee, and then you're just soul to soul, heart to heart in creating. And there's no barriers there. There's even in a relationship between me and Wilhelm, you know, my husband, there's, there's no barriers in that space because it's, we're not protecting ourselves. It's open, vulnerable, authentic, beautiful, a place of creation where we look together at the world. And that can be possible for our clients too. But when I'm in my Fiona world thinking, wow, I really need to or make this point or, you know, of the receptivity, I can't blame the other person. It's like, no, the crazy is going on in my head and they're, they're just in this dance with me. And it's, it's like, you know, I'm dancing the tango and they're dancing an Irish jig and we're not meeting. <laughs> is there anything more you saw on that, Nina? I'm sorry. I... No, no, I, I, what struck me is that where you went with the answer to that question was not the problems with the person. And, and of course, we do have our own thinking when somebody initially comes to us from that place of love and connection and well-being. And yet what, what you did in answering that question was see yourself, what role you're playing in that conversation. And I think if more of us did that, that we didn't buy into someone's self-perception mm. and, and came from that deeper recognition of our, who we are, since that's, that's a running theme in this conversation about creativity, is that it would change everything. Say, well, wait a minute, where am I coming from in this? My experience is there's very little pushback in a conversation when we're both in that space. And I mean, even if there are things to be said that may not be the easy things to be said, if we're coming from that deepest part of us, that love, that not having a judgment on it, but for something needing to be said, as Michael would call it, Michael, you would call it the loving disruptive part, but it's with love and it might be disruptive. It can still be heard. But if we're in a different space, uh, like in our thinking, they're in their thinking, then we're we're probably at nothing. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit like playing tennis, you know, we're just lob balls over the net and um, just trying to score points. And, and that doesn't get us to a creative or impactful conversation at all. Oh, I've loved this conversation. Ooh, I'm so glad. Me too. <laughs> On a gray day in Sweden, I'm just looking at the window right now. It's like, oh, it's, it's kind of lifted my heart. In a way, it's brought sunshine in where there's just gray clouds outside. So. Oh, so lovely. What thoughts would you like to leave us with? And 
How can people find you? What are you up to these days? Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, it's as simple to me as knowing the truth of who we are, really. And that probably sounds so trite and so, oh, we could write a meme, but it's, it's no, not that. It's not the truth of who we are. We are both the ordinary and extraordinary. We're both the messy human in form and we are and have this nuclear energy of the creative intelligence, real-time intelligence, the grace and ease and love. We are all of it and we are the intersection of that. And it's just the most delicious uh, combination. And it's just like, ooh, we get to be alive and play in this stuff. It's, it's so cool. I would just love for people to feel that and play with that and experiment and have fun there. And even when life looks great, eh, like it is in Sweden, there's, there's something beyond that that has the blue skies, that has, it still has that infinite potential. It still has that creativity and love. It still has that ease and grace. It's, it's the uncovering. It's allowing the uncovering of that. And where people can find you, I guess, is on LinkedIn. I have actually taken down my website, Nina, because it couldn't keep up with me. And, and I guess, too, because I've been in a transition. So my transition from being a nurse director in the Middle East, leading a thousand people, to working with my husband to create a space where he will talk about it as helping people find their creation or creativity, their clarity and their power and leadership. And I speak of it as being that uncompromising stand for people's greatness. So that is through both of us. We do that through leadership training, we do it through coaching, we do it, I do it through supervision. It's just if people want to and love to be in this conversation, whether you're a coach wanting to even create more impact for your clients, whether it's just wanting to hang around and swim in this space. Cool. Everybody's invited because I love, love, love this conversation. I can't guarantee that people will write 12 poems, by the way. That, I, can only, I can only say that it happened once. But I've seen people create marriages and create transformation in their companies. And I've seen just lots of the coolest things. So yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn under Fiona Jacob. And I would be delighted to connect. Thank you so much. Always a heart-filled experience talking with you. Well, Nina, I love you from the bottom of my heart. I love what you're creating in the world. I'm so thrilled to have been here today with you and people who listen to this wonderful podcast. And I can't wait to connect with you again really soon. Thank you so much.